0: Is taken from Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 30. Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 30. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Those he justified, he also glorified. This is the word of the Lord. If you can keep your Bibles open
1: to Romans chapter 8 as we go through it, I'm sure it will be helpful to you as it would be to me. Let's pray that God will speak to us this morning. Lord, we give you great praise and thanks that you are speaking, God, and we pray that your words will come and accomplish its mission before returning to you. Help us to be conformed to the image of your Son. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if you do this at home, but sometimes I stub my toe at home and then I cry out to God, God, what have I done? Why are you punishing me? And that's often how we think of um, suffering in our life. We think that when good things happen, um, when it's because we've been good. And when bad things happen, it's because we have been bad. But of course, that's not biblical theology. That's actually akin to sort of the secular notion of karma. We know that that is not true. Um, Rabbi Kushner wrote a book um, called When Bad Things Happen to Good People. Suffering seems indiscriminate. Think about the Middle East and the people who have been suffering. Women and children, uh, women and men, grown up and uh, grown-up children, good and bad. Christians and Muslims have been driven out. They have suffered and they have died. People who died in the recent shooting in Paris and in the U.S., it's not because they were somehow worse uh, than us. No, we need to have the right theology of suffering. And according to the Bible, everyone, everyone suffers. Whether you are good or bad, look down to verse 18. Paul says there, I consider that our present suffering are not worth comparing to. And he doesn't qualify this. He assumes that everyone suffers. Everyone in the present age suffers. In fact, Paul writes that all, we all groan inwardly because of our suffering. Verse 23. He says, not only so, but we ourselves, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly. You're, of course, um, Familiar with this sort of uh, groaning if you are a bit older, and your body's sort of falling apart. The joint goes out of uh, 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 out of socket for no reason, and even a common cold—it just seems like it would take a miracle to heal. We know that as we age, our bodies sort of fall apart, and we groan. Even in our late teens and twenties, uh, sickness makes us realize that we are not—we uh, are mere mortals. Uh, that we are not as strong as we think we are. And the scripture in verse 26, Paul says our bodies are weak, that we are, we're waiting for the redemption of our bodies. And the scale of suffering isn't just, it doesn't, it's not just about us. The whole of creation suffers. The whole of creation is groaning, Paul says. Look at verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in, the child, uh, as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. It goes back to Adam and Eve when they sinned. The luster of creation uh, was lost. It became futile, verse 20, uh, bonded to decay, verse 21. Death and futility entered the whole creation as it has come to us. The disorder that we see in the creation... The chaos, the Darwinian competition for survival, it entered into the creation. It was not meant to be this way. The hostility that we sense from the creation, whether that's from a precious lion that wants to eat us or the violent sort of angry tsunami waves that come, that were not meant to be there, not in this way. Somehow the fate of the whole creation was changed when human beings fell that it had been groaning for our freedom and for our redemption. And groaning, this groaning isn't like the one that you let out when you're stuck in traffic. It's it's not, ah. This is more, as it says, groaning uh, of a woman giving birth in anguish and in pain. It's that kind of cry of pain. The world suffers because of us. We've seen our share of it this year. In the news, the wars, the refugee crisis, the shootings, the strip mining, fracking, the pollution, uh, all these things that go on. And you might be asking yourselves, uh, you might be asking yourselves, well, hasn't Christ come? Are we saved already? Haven't we be delivered from this? What are we groaning for? And Paul writes in verse 22, The creation creation was uh, was crying in pain right up to the present time, as if the groaning should have stopped right up to the present time. It was his time 2,000 years ago, but then why does the creation continue to suffer? Why is it still bonded to decay? Why is the creation not as glorious as we should, we would imagine it to be? And how about us? Aren't we saved already? Shouldn't we experience God's power and glory more? In this passage, if you read it carefully, it's a bit confusing because of the tenses. It changes from past and present back and forth. Paul says in verse 24 that we were already saved. We were saved, verse 24, in the past tense. But then he goes on to say in verse 25 that we are waiting for this salvation. As if it hasn't happened yet. Again, in verse 15 and 16, if you, look, uh, if you have your Bibles open, Paul says there that we have been adopted already as children of God, that we call God Abba Father, that we have the privilege already. But then if you look down to verse 23, he says, we are eagerly waiting for our adoption to sonship, as if this is something that will happen in the future. It hasn't yet come. Well, what does that mean? Well, once again, I think John, I love how uh, John Stott puts things so clearly uh, when commenting on these verses that he says that this shows that we are only half saved, half saved. And please don't misunderstand me here. It doesn't mean that John is saying that actually um, that we need to add to the work of Christ as if Christ's work was insufficient. That's not what he's saying. But he does mean that the fullness of salvation, the fullness of the world that Jesus had made possible, the bodies that Jesus had made possible uh, for us have not yet come. The fullness will only come when Jesus returns in glory. What we have now is a foretaste. A little deposit, a guarantee that will uh, that, 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 uh, of the things that will come. Paul says, we are the first fruits of the Spirit, verse 23. And first fruit means exactly that. It's that when the harvest time comes, the first fruits, uh, the first harvest comes. And in anticipation for the full harvest, people give thanks. We have that. We have the Holy Spirit with us. We have the first fruits of the Spirit. But for now, still... The future have not yet come. Suffering marks our time, as glory will mark the future. The creation groans still. We groan still. Even the spirit who identifies with our suffering, in verse 26, it says, it groans wordlessly on our behalf. This age is marked by suffering. So let me ask you, Do you groan? Is there a part of you that are dissatisfied with the world, with their bodies, with the things that that, that they are? Are you longing for a better world to come? Because it is supposed to be that way. For now. Yes, we have a joy that transcends circumstances and understanding, but Christians are people who have the certain knowledge that there is a better world that is coming. Our life involves a healthy dissatisfaction with the present world. If you are perfectly at home in this world, you do not have the Christian hope. You do not. Um, and that's the hope for which we have been saved. Many of you remember uh, will remember Patrick, um, our, tre- our previous treasurer. When he came back for a visit... Um, this past, past summer, I asked how he liked London. He went back to London. Um, he said that he liked it. He liked the pace of life. He likes the park. He, he likes the, uh, the things that he's able to do with his uh, uh, family and children. But he went on to say that he still doesn't feel quite at home there. That he, there are things that he misses about Hong Kong. If you ask Rachel, I think Rachel will say the same thing. No matter where she goes, she's partly at home, but there's still things that, that makes her not quite at home. And then Patrick said, well, these things then remind me that actually our home is not anywhere in this world. And that is true. This world is marked by suffering, by groaning. It is not the way it's supposed to be. And we long for that day comes. So we look forward to the future, and it will be glorious. Paul started the passage by saying that... uh, I consider our present suffering not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. You know, if you, when you compare things, you compare things that are like each other, like color TV to black and white TV or a good book to a bad book or whatever it is. You don't compare, for example, your children's writing to Shakespeare because you know which one's better. Well, I, I don't know, maybe you think you have so much pride in your children. But in every way, one is better. One is superior to the other. And Paul saying that we can't compare the, the, the glory that will come to the suffering, however great that might be right now. You can't even compare because of the glory that will come. And for Paul, that is a big statement for, for Paul to say because think about how much he suffered. Second Corinthians 11, he lists out things um, that 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 he went through. He writes there, And have gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Beside everything else, I face daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. And yet, this present suffering will not be compared to the glory that is coming. It's not worth comparing. I don't know what you went through um, this year some people are suffering from depression. Maybe there was death in the family, tiredness that you feel because of constant sort of this work life that you have. What have you gone through? What has the world world gone through? The wars, the refugee crisis, the violence, and all the shootings, and the political um, chaos. Let me tell you, When the glory is revealed, when Jesus comes back again, you will not even think of these things. The the suffering will not compare to the glory that is coming. This present world will feel like mere shadow to the weight of glory that will come when Jesus comes back. And I hope you, you caught this little phrase, that this glory will be revealed in us, in us. This glory will not just be revealed to us, will be presented to us. It will be revealed in us. We will be changed. Our bodies will be redeemed in a way that we couldn't have even imagined. Our weak body, full of ailments, forgetfulness, and sinful desires, touched by death, defects, will be gone. We will be transformed C.S. Lewis puts it so well in, uh, in his famous book, Mere Christianity. He says, he will make the feeblest and filthiest of us into a dazzling, radiant, immortal creatures, pulsating all through with energy and joy and wisdom and love as we cannot now imagine. A bright, stainless mirror which reflects back to God perfectly, though, of course, on a smaller scale. His own boundless power and delight and goodness, and that is that is what we are in for, nothing less. We will be transformed in this way. In fact, in his uh, another sermon, The Weight of Glory, he says that if we saw each other now as we will be then, then we would all be tempted to fall down and start worshiping each other because we would so reflect the glory and the image of God. And not only ourselves. The whole world will be changed. The creation will be liberated from bondage and decay, and we will be brought into freedom. Um, uh, uh, The creation itself will be brought into freedom. When Jesus comes back, all harmful elements of the creation will be replaced by righteousness, peace, and harmony, joy, and security. We see in the Psalms and the pictures uh, by uh, Isaiah prophet Isaiah, vivid imagery, how the desert will blossom like crocus. We see um, uh, uh, how wild animals and domestic animals will coexist together. Even the most ferocious and poisonous animals uh, will neither harm nor destroy throughout God's world. We don't know exactly how it will be. We can't press uh, for details, but it will be glorious beyond our imagination, and that is what is promised before us that is what we are saved for we are saved for that hope you might wonder why i've been spending so much time in this advent season in this christmas season season to talk about suffering and future kingdom partly it's because there is so much suffering around the world now and we might be asking ourselves what can we do to help what can we do to alleviate this suffering how can we fix them and these are great questions, and we ought to do more. I mean, um, perhaps you know, instead of um, giving more presents that we don't need to each other uh, this Christmas, we might make a donation to um, uh, uh, a Samaritan's Purse or UNHCR, the, the UN refugee agencies. We, we ought to do more. We ought to be praying for the healing of this world um, and, 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 and of ourselves. But this season of Advent... I want to remind us that being a Christian isn't primarily about doing things. It is primarily about waiting. Waiting for Christ, our Savior. Verse 24, 25. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. We wait For Christ to come back and change the world. That is what the Advent season is about. As Christmas approaches, we remember that Jesus, God, sent his Savior already once. That the Savior will come to complete that job. He will come again, and we wait for it patiently. In this season, we remember that we're only half saved that the fullness of salvation is coming when Jesus comes back that hope is what makes us Christian not that we are saviors of the world but that we have a savior Christ don't get me wrong we think we are to do things to be a blessing to others and to the nations we do the but we don't do these things because we think that we can solve the world's problems and usher in God's kingdom here on earth now, as if we can do these things, if we just worked hard enough. No, the creation is subject, still subject to decay and frustration. Our bodies are still weak, and we are groaning for our redemption. The world seems hopeless, hopeless, um, the world does seem hopeless and beyond our, our, our reach. But we do these things because we bear witness to the fact that Christ had already come, that we have a different way of living, that the future will come, and we showcase the future kingdom by how we live today. But we get impatient, and we sometimes demand that God would do things now uh, things that are not yet available. And Stott, once again, talks about this uh, in this way. Uh, um, understandably anxious uh, to emerge out of, uh, of painful present suffering and groaning, some Christians talk as if our resurrection had taken place already as if the body should no longer be subjected to weakness, disease, pain, and decay. Yet such impatience is a form of presumption. It is is to rebel against God of history, who has indeed acted conclusively for our salvation, who will most assuredly complete when Christ comes what he has begun. Sometimes we get so frustrated with the world as it is and with our bodies, our life as it is, and we demand that God change the situation now. We demand that God heal us now, change the whole world now. But for now, what Paul is reminding us is frustration and decay will mark this time. But that's not the end. Jesus will come and hoping and waiting patiently means that we don't despair in this present time, when seems uh, things to be when things seem seem to be falling apart. Hoping for uh, for the future means saying to ourselves, "This suffering, this too, will pass." We're promised the glories of the future; bad things will pass. So, don't fall into the temptation of hopelessness. Hopelessness comes when you've lost the vision of the end times when you don't see the new creation coming. Remember, all of your sufferings, whatever you went through, what, whatever you will go through, will come to pass. All struggle will pass. No evil things will last. Everything will have its end point, and you won't see a faint hint of it in the new creation. And the best is yet to come. Paul told us in verse 23 that we eagerly wait for this Uh, for our redemption. The word eagerly wait, the, the, the eager expectation means, as one commentator put it, to wait with the head raised and our eyes fixed on the point of horizon from which the expected object is to come. It depicts somebody standing on tiptoe, stretching the neck, craning forward in order for us to be able to see. This is how we are to wait for the coming of Christ, for the second coming of Christ. We eagerly wait as we remember Christ's first coming in this Advent Advent season for Jesus to come back. We cry out, come, Lord Jesus, come. And as I end, um, once again, I have a lot of quotes from C.S. Lewis, but I think this is a good one to end with. Um, This is what we are waiting for. This is how he depicts the future. And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, They were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, and in which every chapter is better than the one before. We are supposed to groan, not out of despair, but because there is a better destination to come. We groan because there is an end to this world, and the worst of things um, in this world is not going to go on forever, and the best is yet to come. We groan because this world is marked by suffering, but glory will come. 2,000 years ago, Jesus came, and at any day, Jesus will return. And that's the hope that we have. Let's pray. And thanks that you came 2,000 years ago that you came to save the world. You made a world that is unimaginable possible. And our bodies that are unaffected by sin and death possible, and we await your coming eagerly. And help us to be people of hope that show the world that there is a new world coming by the way that we live, by the the way that we hope. And help us to remember that you are coming in this Advent season. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.